how a business can become liable in a criminal sense and that how the, how this differs from liability in contract or liability in tort that we have seen in the past. To start off, perhaps companies can actually be criminally liable or how they should be criminally liable. Do you, do you see why there's a problem in linking company corporate activity and the concept of criminal liability? Some criminal sanction can come to businesses on the basis of various rules and regulations. And there are many instances in company law, for instance, if you see the Companies Act, we saw a little bit of this when we were talking about the idea of, of what is a company and what do you, how do you create virtual entities and how they link in the, in the world of business. There are lots of criminal liabilities within that legislation. But the key difference is that these criminal penalties come for people that are working for the companies. If there are various areas in the law where somebody who is operating a business through the structure might be criminally liable for something that the company has done, but they become liable themselves. For instance, if you take the directors of a company, if the directors of the company are uh, failed to make certain returns, to communicate to the authorities certain pieces of information at specific periods of time in the year. If they fail to do this, then there's a criminal penalty for them personally, right? So they might have going to prison for that. There's also other types of violations that one can engage, health and safety violations, things like this that could result to a person who is in a decision-making capacity with a business that is run through a company could result in criminal liability for them personally. How are companies regulated and controlled? One way to regulate a system is to leave it to the demand of those who are, who are negatively affected. So litigation is a way to address those issues. You don't have a bottom-up imposition of rules and standards but you give the courts the ability to address problems when they come up. This is how the law of tort developed, for instance. Right? So if somebody opens their ginger beer, they find the snail inside, they're going, what the hell? They go to a court to complain about it, and then the court is making up a rule that says you have an obligation, you owe a duty of care to the people who use your products or use your spaces not to cause them harm, right? Um, a lot of invasion at the beginning of the 20th century developed along those lines. Negative impacts that people went to protest in the courts and the courts slowly developed a doctrine of precedent that built up a set of rules that imposed restrictions on corporate ability. On uh, corporate, on, uh, corporate uh, behavior and corporate decision making. Now, the, the disadvantage of doing it, well, there are advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is that this is responsive to actual needs. So you do not need the policymaker to come up with a set of rules for situations that might never come about. So it problems real situations and you develop your rules on the basis of that. So it keeps costs to the minimum. You could argue that it is a more effective way to develop sets of rules to constrain corporate behavior. On the other hand, the problem with litigation is that some people have already been harmed. So somebody needs to suffer the loss in order to in a court, in order for the court to make a rule that says, okay, this is not good, this should not happen again. But you've got an initial set of victims behind every litigation attempt to regulate stuff. It could be that the state 
takes the, the view that this is too much. We cannot, af we cannot afford to wait for the first generation of victims to then develop a set of rules that says this is not good in order to ban it and protect future generations. So then the state can choose to regulate top-down by parliament enacting legislation that says you are and you're not allowed to do X, Y, Z. And of course, then this regulation, if it is created by parliament or it's created by a policymaker, then gets refined by the courts because these rights that are and obligations that are created through legislation that get tested and refined and enhanced uh, when they get to litigation. But the idea is that more costly because you have a rule that everybody needs to comply with and it might impose costs and bureaucratic burdens on everybody, but it's trying to prevent a sort of first generation of victims. If you've got problems anyhow, then the courts can help develop this in ways that are more efficient for everybody. The problem is that sometimes neither of these things is sufficient. And if you're looking at the at Carroll's pyramid that I showed you there, maybe we can cover with this basic legal interests, but we cannot cover everything. Maybe it would be inappropriate to impose burdens of good corporate citizenship as a matter of law on everybody, because maybe it's not relevant across the board, or maybe corporations cannot cope with this because it's going to unduly restrict their operations. Also, there are areas where the law does not. What happens, for instance, how do you navigate institutional boundaries? How do you navigate jurisdictional boundaries? All this discussion about the corporate veil and the idea of Adams and Cape and all of that stuff. The courts have been very resistant to lifting the resistant to lifting the corporate veil of disregarding the idea of limited liability and separate corporate personality. It means that if you've got separately incorporated enterprises that are, get, are, are part of a group, yes, but because they're separately incorporated, you've got these boundaries. These boundaries are essential the way the system is built, but it could be that people can get away with nasty stuff by hiding behind those boundaries. What if these boundaries are actually crossing jurisdictions? What happens if the harm in you've got a multinational enterprise that operates as a group, it doesn't operate as a single entity, you've got separate inclusions. These different jurisdictions have, have got local rules that they need to comply with. What happens if the local rules are inappropriate or the legal system down there cannot cope in creating or refining those rules? So you could have your attention the regulation from top-down or litigation brought them up, but it works in in but it works in inconsistent ways across uh, jurisdictional boundaries, and there is nothing you can do about this. Okay, do not be naive, because I, I mark lots of essays where people go, of course the solution is some global regulation, and peace and love, and you know, this ain't the beauty of stupid speeches, this is the reality. So yeah, more global cooperation would be nice, but it's not gonna happen. I think it's what you do when you don't have the global cooperation. And also there are some stuff built into the system. So you can have initiatives at international level, but international law has its subjects, the states, internal rights and obligations on the personal level. So a corporate actor, you can do whatever you want at the level of the UN. If this doesn't filter down into enforceable rights and obligations at national level, a corporate actor can still ignore all that stuff.
they've been ignoring human rights and, and labor standards for years, okay? Because they don't have and because they don't have enforceable expression in national law. This is the only way the system is built. So to say, oh yeah, you know, a lot of people are doing nasty stuff, so they ought to be legislated away. Fine, yeah, okay. But they can be legislated away here. But you still got the problem that the British multinational is doing business through a local entity. Uh, if you wait, you know, you can wait for institutional development to catch up with the standards till the cows come home. But, you know, this is not the relevant time frame, is it? So the weakness of filtering down international agreements on international standards into national law and then enforcement level, coupled with weaknesses in decision-making and dispute resolution systems and judiciaries in a variety of countries, ends up to a need for some self-discipline in the corporations. So if you cannot force them to behave in more responsible or appropriate ways, then may appropriate ways, then maybe what you can do is try and nudge them into behaving better. You try to influence corporate culture. So corporations do not go around and exploit regulatory gaps and engage in various nasty stuff in order to make, but they will themselves choose not to do this even though they forego an opportunity for profit. And this is not just them being nice for the sake of being nice or because they've been convinced to self-regulate because it's, you know, it's good for the soul. It actually does have a link with, link with profitability. Uh, and the, the link with profitability comes by perceptions on the brand. But what I want to focus on with this content here is take it a little bit beyond that and think about the company in itself as the virtual entity being responsible. Do you remember back to the the class that we had that we were talking about agency? We were talking about the liability of for the for, of the principal for the actions of the agent and stuff like that. So it is a little bit like this. But the difference here is that we're, it's easy to understand contractual liability when an agent, like an employee of the company, does something and binds the company. We get that because the company, even though it's a virtual entity, has got no issues with, uh, with contractual uh, agreements. But criminal liability, it feels different because the crime is so much attached to the perpetrator of the crime. You have, for, you have, for instance, you guys have done all the criminal law, I think. So you've got an understanding of how a criminal act needs to be matched by a mental element and intention. So you've got the actus reus and you've got the mens rea and all of these things coming together to form the various elements of a criminal act. So criminal responsibilities. But if you about a corporate entity that is a virtual entity, it does not have a mind of its own, then how can you... You, you know what they've done if they've done something wrong, but you don't know how you should attribute the, the criminal element to the corporation itself as opposed to the people within it that are getting stuff done. Some of the content that you're going to see when you read this, these sections from the textbook uh, deal exactly with this idea of how to make a corporate entity in itself responsible for the actions of the people who are within it. An example is liability, liability for industrial accidents. 
um, have you guys come across stories in the press and so on about there's been like big rail accidents and things like this in this country over the years you remember any of that every every once in a while we've got an entire wikipedia page on rail like every time there's a accident like an industrial accident rail accidents are perhaps the best example and you've got something that results in the death of somebody then it becomes uh, a discussion about how do you punish the corporation that you feel is responsible now if you find that a decision maker within a within a corporation has actually mandated a particular action that then results in a criminal act then you can hold the company you can hold the person responsible but you can also hold the company responsible for this uh, decision of a key person within the company so the mens rea that would attach to the individual can actually be attributed to the company because it was the boss that took this decision that resulted in this uh, in this adverse consequence but the problem so you can use the normal rules of criminal attribution in order to do this but it's not always that easy because the majority of the things that go wrong especially things that result in uh, in death in in these severe industrial accidents you cannot really pinpoint a particular decision by a particular individual in order to um, in order to attribute responsibility. What you have most of the time is a company that just doesn't care about the welfare of its customers or the welfare of its workers and is operating a, a culture that is deficient and disinterested in the health and safety of people. So in order to address this, they came up with things like the Corporate Manslaughter Act. And the Corporate Manslaughter Act is precisely about making companies responsible for death that results out of negligence, but you don't have to find a person that takes a decision at a particular point in time. So you don't need to point to somebody that says, right, okay, we're spending too much money on health and safety. We're just going to stop doing that and we're going to be fine. And then you got the resulting accident. The What you need instead for corporate manslaughter is to prove that there was a culture, uh, a deficient culture, a disinterest in health, in the health and safety of people. And it is through that corporate deficient corporate culture that you ended up having an accident. I think it's not ideal, but it's the only way you can do it. It's the only way that you can bridge the gap between sort of bad attitudes and bad consequences when you don't actually have the capacity to find an individual responsible. If you do find this individual responsible, then of course it becomes a lot easier. After the Grenfell, Grenfell Tower uh, fire, there was a lot of debate about whether they could use the Corporate Manslaughter uh, Act in order to prosecute people for this. And there was, because people felt, I mean, you all know about the Grenfell uh, Tower problem, right? So there was a lot of, so there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of anger after this. And there was a lot of talk about how you could bring criminal charges against people. Uh, for the role that they had in putting in adequate building materials and all the rest of it on the tower, um, but in fact, this is not this is not how it works. So if you read this article, I wrote this article uh, about uh, corporate manslaughter and what it is, it 
it helps clear up a little bit what might be considered corporate responsibility and what are the consequences of criminal responsibility for companies and what are the consequences of criminal responsibility for people. Another example of uh, how you can make, how you could have criminal consequences out of business activity is the, the Bribery Act. So this was meant to make businesses responsible for inappropriate behavior, uh, usually abroad. Because what happens here is that here, if, you, um, if you're trying to get a government contract and you go to give the minister in charge is full of money, obviously you're going to get in trouble in very direct ways and very quickly. But if you're doing this abroad, so if it is a British corporation that is kind of, that is kind of tending up with suitcases of money abroad in order to procure government contracts or to do deals or to convince a decision maker somewhere to do something, it wasn't there weren't the tools available in the law to make this activity criminal and to prosecute this activity or to deal engaging abroad. And it could be that in the country that this was happening, which either this sort of thing was legal or not. The, the authorities there were not paying attention uh, or they were not very efficient in addressing this. Because the legislator here thought that this is a problem and it is something that, that needs to be addressed, they um, took action in order to criminalize, uh, to criminalize this behavior at this end. So now, uh, it's a lot of things that come within the definition of bribery are getting prosecuted in the UK, um, and it doesn't matter where they take place. So businesses are not allowed anymore to engage in these behaviors that fit within those definitions, and it doesn't matter where they do it. So they would be equally uh, responsible whether they were doing it in the UK or whether they would be doing it abroad. I think these, perhaps, as, uh, these are easily accessible examples. One is corporate manslaughter. The other one is the effects of the Bribery Act. So I think this can come quite quickly um, and help you guys understand um, how uh, a business the business itself, not the people in it, but the business itself, the corporate entity in particular, can become involved in a criminal action or can face the consequences of uh, criminal liability.